0: Good morning, church. It is so good to see all of you here gathered this morning. Uh, My name is Jesse Holmes. I serve as a discipleship pastor here at Crawford Avenue. And this morning we'll be looking in Ephesians chapter 4, specifically verses 17 through 32. Uh, So if you have your Bible, I ask that you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, We'll be looking at verses 17 through 32. And if you're using one of the black Bibles that are found in front of you, you will find our text on page nine hundred. Seventy-eight, nine hundred seventy-eight. Hear now God's word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so grateful to be able to gather and to learn from your word. Your word is truth, and we ask that you will sanctify us this morning in that truth. Will you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, teach us that we might hear and receive and process and learn and grow and mature because of the proclamation of your word. And will you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help me as I proclaim? Lord, will you help me provide clarity in speech? Lord, help me to be able to proclaim your word as you see fit. We're grateful for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, The gospel is a message of transformation. Because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, all are born into sin, desiring not the things of God, but his own way. They are held captive by these selfish and sinful desires, going from bad to worse, in an attempt to satisfy the unquenchable thirst of sin. But the good news of the gospel is that God, being rich in mercy, even though we were held captive and in bondage to our own sinful desires, rescued us from that bondage. He removed the heart of stone that was anti-God and replaced it with a heart of flesh which desires obedience to him. This great transformation was made possible by the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life and gave himself up as the perfect sacrifice. Through faith in this Jesus, we are transformed brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. But the good news is, the even better news is, that it doesn't end there. That the Father in his infinite wisdom has not only transformed us as individuals, but he has gathered us together in the context of a transformed people known as the local church. And it's here within this context that we're reminded of the truth of God. We're encouraged, and supported, and rebuked, and corrected, and discipled, and together we await the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. However, there is a problem. It's a problem that we all recognize, but we struggle to admit, and the problem is this, that we as individuals, every single person in this room, uh, whether saved or not, we are a hot mess. Though we have been transformed by the power of the gospel, we still on a daily basis struggle with sin. And unfortunately, our personal struggles with sin are manifested in our gathering together. Arguments, disagreements, dysfunction, division, backbiting, gossip, just to name a few. And with our sin, we hurt ourselves and we can end up hurting those that are around us. And so, what do we do? What do we do about this dysfunction that can so easily overtake our local gathering of believers? Well, I believe that Paul, in this text, has the answer. Now, our text is right here in the middle of a big conversation that Paul is having. And Ephesians chapter 4 begins Paul's common transition from teaching on theology to teaching on how we ought to live based off the theology— The main idea of the next three chapters are summed up in verse 1 of chapter 4, where he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Looking at the chapter as a whole, it is clear that Paul, in this section of Scripture, that he is not just calling individual believers to shape up. He's not just calling and challenging them to do right and act right. But Paul's concern is that the church would be unified, unified outwardly because they have already been unified inwardly through the Spirit of God. And so in our text today, Paul has identified the issue. He has identified the reason why unity can be such a struggle for those within the household of God. And it's found in the fact that we all struggle with relapsing into pre-Christian ways in our words, in our thoughts, in our actions, in our attitudes. And when we relapse, the gathered body can feel the effects. We like to think that it's only the pastor's and leader's sin that can do damage to the body. But all of us can do damage to the body when we don't pay careful, close attention to the, stru- the sin that still remains within us. And so the question that we want to answer this morning is simply this. How do we walk worthy as a people of God? How do we walk worthy as Christians? And to answer this question, Paul will give us two reminders in the text and an application. And these three pieces will serve as our points for our sermon this morning. So first, Paul reminds us that you are not who you were. Point one, you are not who you were. Look with me at verses 17 through 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity." Sometimes, when looking at Paul's letters, people will very easily confuse what Paul is saying in his letters to be a checklist that we are to obey. As he gives description, as he gives these lists, we would like to think, or we will be uh, afraid to think, that, oh, Paul is saying that I need to do this check. I need to do that check. But that's never what Paul is trying to accomplish. Whenever Paul is encouraging obedience, every single time, it is grounded in our identity. Every time Paul is encouraging obedience, it is grounded in our identity. Why? Because there's a connection between identity and behavior. And we see this all the time, right? If we identify that it is a bird, our expectation, unless it's a penguin, is that it will fly. And when we see a duck, our expectation is that it's able to swim. And when we see a dog, we are expecting to hear bark come from its mouth. Why? Because identity is connected to behavior. And so everything that Paul is talking about right here finds its root, its foundation in the fact that we have a new identity. There are behaviors which find their origin in an old, dead heart. And behaviors that find their origin in a new heart that's alive, given to us by God. And so here, Paul wants to emphasize that we are not who we used to be. And so what he's going to do in this section is describe who we used to be. So he begins by saying, no longer. He says right off the bat, no longer. Now I say and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk. And so here is some good news to the audience. Paul, right out of the gate, is encouraging us that that is not who we used to be. And he does so by saying, no longer. And this was a past action. This is what you used to do. This is how you used to be, and it's not you any longer. Okay, what are we to no longer do? We are to no longer walk. Or in other words, no longer conduct your life which includes the things that you say, the things that you do, the ways that you think, the attitudes that you have, the character that you possess, you are to no longer walk or live in those ways as the Gentiles do. Gentiles is not uh, the racial word here, but it's in the spiritual sense. This represents being far from God spiritually, not made new or living for his glory. And so Paul is reminding the believers, as he's trying to encourage unity, he's saying, hey guys, Christians in the room, Christians who have gathered together, let me first remind you of your identity, and your identity is not found in who you used to be. And so then he continues on to describe the actions. Well, Paul, tell us what were these Gentiles like? What were we used to be like? He says, in the futility of their minds. Futility, meaning vanity or purposelessness. He's saying that the way that we used to think was aimless, was purposefulness. It it had no point. It had no direction. And so as we think about who we used to be, it can begin being described by an emptiness of mind. One commentary says that it is a foolish method uh, aiming at a foolish goal. So before Christ, when we walked in the ways of the Gentiles, the ways that our minds function, it was aimless and purposeless. He continues on to say, it is also darkened in their understanding. They think that they know stuff about themselves. They think that they know things about the world. But apart from the light of Christ shining in their hearts, they are blind, bumping into objects, grasping for things but missing every time. Paul's describing how he used to be. And this blind understanding, as he continues, leaves them alienated from the life of God. They are not participants of true life, which means, as Paul describes in chapter 2, that they are dead. There's no life in them. And why? Because they are ignorant, they do not know God. And because of a hardness of heart, they are not sensitive to the things of God. Paul, again, is describing a life apart from God. And next, as he continues this, he says that they are callous, which means they have no appreciation of the truth of God, and their feelings of, they experience no feelings of shame in the face of evil. And so my understanding is that musicians will develop calluses on their fingers if they're playing a guitar, and what that results in is them not dealing with the pains of the strings. And so, in the same way, they who are alienated from God are not bothered by sin. They are callous and they're sinning and it does nothing to them. And finally, Paul says they have given themselves up. They have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So, this phrase, given themselves up, another way to look at this is that they have abandoned themselves. They have left themselves on the side of the road. So imagine getting to a car with a friend and driving down a long highway, and you get to this empty area, and they say, oh, let's go ahead and get out. And they, you get out the car, they close the door, and then they off, drive off. And you never see them again. You have thus been abandoned to the harshness of the world. And what Paul is saying right here is that for those who are apart from Christ, which was all of us in this room at some point, that we abandoned ourselves to practice every kind of impurity. Another way to look at this is when you look at the word practice, it implies even gains of business. So to go even deeper, we not only abandoned ourselves on the side of the road, we made a business of being impure. We set up shop, set up a lemonade stand of impurity, and we enjoyed being in that state. This is the reality of those that are spiritual Gentiles, those that are alienated from the life of God. They are controlled not by the Spirit of God, but as Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 2, by the spirit of disobedience. But the good news is that that is not true of you, church. It is not who we are, it's who we were. We are no longer darkened in our understanding. We are no longer alienated from the life of God. We are no longer abandoned to make a business of impurity. That old man is now dead and gone. And so we don't give way to its desires, we don't give way to its sway. No longer do we act as the one that is now dead and gone. As the old is dead and gone, it gives way for us to walk in a new and living way. And so Paul's first point as he's trying to explain how do we as the church, as believers together, collectively, how do we walk in a way that honors the Lord? How do we walk in a manner worthy of the calling? We first have to remind ourselves that we are not who we were. Now, there's a direct connection to this next point because remember, identity and behavior are connected. And so, as he reminds us of what it looks like to be far from God, he is now going to talk about what it looks like for us to be connected to him. And so, our next point Paul reminds us that you have learned Christ. Point two, you have learned Christ. Look with me at verses 20 and twenty-four through 24. But this is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. As the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Paul right here begins, as he does oftentimes, with a but. And in Scripture, that gives us wonderful hope and excitement. That as Paul has described what it looked like to walk in the way of the Gentiles, he says, but, which tells us that there is a new and there is a better way for us. And he says, but, and there's an exclamation point, I'm going to try not to shout too loud, but there's an exclamation point, But that is not the way you learned Christ. And that's good news. That's not the way that we learned Christ. That's not who we are any longer. And so look at how he he worded this newness in life. He says, this is not how you learned Christ. Now, Paul could have worded this many different ways, right? This is not how you learned about Christ. Or this is not how you learned about the things of Christ Jesus. But he says, this is not the way that you learned Christ. And in that, Paul is explaining that the way in which we walk is the way of Christ Jesus himself. It's not just like Jesus, or about Jesus, or kind of of resembling Jesus, but we, as we are being conformed into the image of Christ, every single step we make is looking more and more like Jesus, so that when people look at us, the only way that they can understand how we live our lives is by reading Scripture about Jesus. And that's the life of a Christian. That as we walk, and as we live, and as we talk, and as we interact, day by day, by the grace of God, we look more and more and more like Christ Jesus. It's not checking off boxes. It's it's not fulfilling a list that we might obey. But it's being completely transformed and sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, we look more and more like Christ. That's what it means to learn Christ. And next what Paul does is, he says, a little disclaimer, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. Now, of course they have heard about Christ Jesus because they're believers. Of course they have been taught in Christ Jesus because they are believers. But here what Paul is doing is he's actually issuing a challenge, a challenge for them to confirm that those statements are true. And not act as if those things are not true. So the reality is, when we walk in the way of Christ Jesus, we are confirming to the world that we have heard him and that we have been taught in him. When we walk faithfully as Christians, what we are proclaiming to the world is that we have heard Jesus, not just heard about Jesus, we have heard Jesus and we have been taught in him. We're proclaiming something about what we believe, about our theology, and the way that we practically live each and every day. And then Paul says, he ends that by saying, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. So, what is the truth in Jesus? Well, Paul breaks it down for us. He gives us three imperatives or three commands that's directly connected to what it means for the truth to be in Jesus. First, he says, put off your old self. Now, to put off, it literally means to lay aside or renounce. So what he is describing is the way that we used to be, the ways that we used to act, Before being changed by Jesus Christ, Paul is saying that we must actively, day by day, lay it aside and renounce it. Now, let's take this a step further. He's not just saying as if it's like, oh, I don't want to wear this shirt anymore. Let me just throw this to the side. But we are to lay it aside and renounce it as if we are completely and utterly disgusted and appalled by what we used to wear. That is our approach to the old man. Not that it was kind of cool and I wish that I could go back to that way, but because of what Christ has done in us, we look back to how we used to be, how we used to think, what we used to say, and we are disgusted and appalled. And what we must do is we must put it aside. We're like, get out of here. You are disgusting. It's an act of action like getting rid of an old and stinky garment that we never want to wear again. This garment belongs to your former manner of life, which is now dead and gone, and we don't want to touch it anymore. For some reason, whenever I think about stinky, uh, I think about middle school boys' socks after they've been running around all day, or maybe a diaper after a big blowout. And those images should be in our mind every time we think about going back to pick up that old, disgusting garment of sin. Every single time we feel tempted or led, may the smells that we just described hit our nostrils so that we are disgusted and never go toward it again. That's the kind of stinkiness of our old garment. And Paul goes further, and he says that this old self and this old garment was corrupt, perishing, rotten, polluted, because it was misled by deceitful desires. Desires that promised joy and life, but left you empty. This garment is rotting. It smells horribly. It clashes with every outfit that you have. It doesn't fit well. It is disgusting. And so that is the way that we must view our old self. And oftentimes the reason why we get ourselves in trouble and fall back into the old patterns of life because we forget how disgusting it was. And not just uh, how we relate to it. It's disgusting and it smells stinky to us. But we must think about what it looks like to the Lord. Our old way of living was so horrible and atrocious that the father sent his only son to die a horrible death on the cross. And a garment that costs that much should never be touched again, should never be thought of again, should never be approached again. That is what it looks like to put off the old self. If you are here and you have not trust in Christ as Savior, I mean, the reality is that it looks like and you think that life is good, but the reality is life apart from Christ is not good. It is horrible and it's disgusting and it's going to always leave you wanting for more. But for those of us who are Christians, may we hear this and actually take this in. We have everything that we need. In Christ Jesus. We have everything that we need in Christ Jesus. And so when the temptation of sin tells us, hey, this will make you better. This will make you feel better. This will make you more comfortable. You deserve this. You've earned this. May we be reminded that we are fully satisfied in him. Next, as Paul is unpacking the truth in Jesus, the second command or imperative he gives is to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, our old self walked in the futility of their minds. So now, we, since we are no longer that person, there needs to be a renewal to take place. Our minds used to be made up of uh, purposelessness and emptiness, and now that we have put that off, what are we going to put on? Like What comes on next oh, is a renewed mind in the likeness of Christ Jesus. Paul speaks of this renewal in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 when he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. With this new mind, Paul says that we are able to discern rightly what the will of God is and live, in a, live a life that is pleasing to him. The final imperative. He says to put off, for our minds to be renewed. And finally, he says to put on the new self. Now, with the removal of the old self and the old nature comes the putting on of the new self, the new nature. And when looking at the word put on, uh, what, it, what it brings to mind is the actual adorning of a garment, putting something back on physically. And so what Paul is saying is there, there's a balance here that God has done a work in our hearts. He has brought us from spiritual death to spiritual life, but the Christian life is characterized by a life of continuous effort to put off and put on. Every single day, we are actively putting off and we are putting on. And what is this new garment that we're putting on? And it's created in the likeness of God. Sin in Genesis chapter 3 distorted what God created. But through Christ, that which sin distorted is being recreated in the image of his son. Is being renewed each and every day so that we might experience and live out true righteousness and true holiness. This, again, is the Christian life. It is a life of actively putting off and putting on, putting off and putting on, putting off and putting on. Every single waking moment of the day, that is what we're doing. It's a life of being reminded that we are no longer who we were, It's a life of living and walking in obedience to God's commands for his glory, for our good, and then also for the good of the church as we gather together. This is no easy task. And I wish that that old man, that old garment, could just be buried and taken away. But do you not feel like it's just always right around the corner? And you spend good time in the Word, and you just rejoice with the Lord, and you get up? And the old garment is waiting at the door, saying, "Hey, put me on." You've just gathered with other believers and worship and sung and uh, fellowship with one another. And then you leave this place, and the garment is standing at your car door, saying, "Hey, put me on." You've had a great night of discipling others. You've had a great day of doing Bible studies and praying and, and fellowshipping, and then before you go to bed, the garment taps you on the shoulder. "Hey put me on. The only way that we're able to consistently put off and put on is like what James says in James chapter 4 verses 7 and 8. He reminds us to submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like a lot of effort, but you know what? We have the Spirit of God that dwells in us, and he empowers us to every single day put off and put on. And the only times this is going to be really difficult is when you don't trust in the power of the Spirit that dwells in you. And so a part of putting off and putting on is being reminded that we are not who we used to be, that we have been made new, and God has our back. He's living right inside of us, convicting us and compelling us. And as Jordan preached last week, giving us a way out of temptation. So Paul reminds us of who we we are anymore. He then reminds us of what we have learned in Christ, learned Christ. And finally, Paul gives us application in the form of the marks of this new nature. So point. Three final point, the marks of this new nature. Look with me at verses 25 through 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, since the beginning of this message, I hope that you've been hearing the stress that uh, I've been trying to communicate that what our text is getting at is it's not just about a list of things that we need to do individually, but it's about the corporate impl- implications of walking in obedience to God's command. One of the reasons why I've come to this conclusion that Paul's focus is on how we interact with each other is the list of exchanges that we find right here in this final section. Here, Paul concludes by giving us specific examples of what it looks like to put off the old self and put on the new self. And do you know what all of these examples speak to? How we relate to one another. Every single example and exchange that Paul lists right here is about how we interact with one another. Why? The manner in which we walk individually can and will influence the gathered people of God. The manner in which we live and walk individually can and will influence the gathered people of God. Either we influence toward Christ's likeness or we don't. And so, for the sake of unity and maturity in the church, Paul gives us a few things that we need to keep in mind as we think about putting off and putting on. First, he says, put off lying and put on truth-telling. He says, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Uh, Lying is the worst. I mean, it is just not fun at all. Lying is an act of deception it betrays trust, it hurts feelings, and it's really difficult to believe what someone says after they make a habit of lying. However, lying is a part of everyday life among those who don't have hope in Christ. If you want to rise up in the ranks, you better have the skill of lying. If you want to be successful in life, you better have the skill of lying. If you want more, of what, if you want more to add to what you have, you better have the skill of lying. When this happens, when this seeps within the church and among the people of God, it causes all kinds of issues, ultimately resulting in division. It's no coincidence that Paul begins the put-off list by talking about lying because he just finished talking about truth that's found in Jesus. And so within the church, we are called to the standard of Christ, where we don't value our own personal gain over the interests of others, which oftentimes, when we want more and we want to gain more, it will lead us to lying. But we recognize that we are members one of another. We're connected, we're connected deeply. And so we don't lie to one another. Now, And there's a lot of ethics about lying that I could possibly get into, and I will not do that uh, because there's a lot to be said there. But the reality is, and can we just all agree that lying stinks and that no matter the circumstance, no matter the feelings that might get hurt, no matter uh, how we might feel or what we might perceive, lying is not of God. And if the truth of God dwells in us, then that is what should come out of our mouths. So let us commit to speaking truth and speaking it in love. So let us not uh, adopt the attitude of revenge where we might say, I'm going to tell them a piece of my mind. I got some truth for them to hear. Oh, I can't wait till I see them next. That's not a good heart. That's not the truth that we are to proclaim. But Paul says to put off lying and put on truth-telling next, put off unrighteous anger and put on righteous anger. He talks about being angry. Right away, we see that Paul does not condemn anger. He does not say, you guys don't ever be angry. I don't want to see any anger in the church when I come by. That's not what he says at all. But what he says is, be angry and do not sin, because anger is a real emotion, and there's a difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. But instead of using those two terms, I want to suggest that there is an anger that has its arms wide open, and there's an anger that has its arms closed. There's an anger that has its arms wide open. An anger that has its arms wide open is willing to talk, willing to work things out, willing to reason and hear the other side, is positioning themselves for reconciliation, so I would imagine if someone walked up to you like this, what are you going to assume? Well, they might be attacking you, or they might be giving you a hug. And so can you imagine you're, you're angry, you have anger in you, but as you're talking to the person, your arms are wide open. Why? Because you are positioning yourself to be reconciled. That is the type of anger that comes from God. Anger with arms closed, doesn't want to hear the other person is focused on themselves, is closed off, and thus not open to reconciliation, it might even have the mindset, I'll open up my arms when they give me a reason to open my arms. That is not a righteous anger. That is an anger that is selfish and is looking for personal gain. But as we experience anger, which we all will, as conflict comes up uh, between all of us, and we want to keep our arms open. We want to sit down at a table and talk and discuss that we might be reconciled one to another. He gives a warning: Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? What he is describing is not that if you get into an argument that you have to stay up until you resolve the argument before you go to bed. That's not what he's implying. But what he is saying is. Don't avoid having the conversation because when you do, it will only fester into bitterness and wrath and hateful anger. And so communication is the key. It's true that we all need some time to sit and process when conflict comes up, but we communicate that. We share with one another, I love you. I care about you. I want to resolve this issue, but let me just take a second to think and process. Uh, Let's come together and let's pray and let's discuss this issue that we might be on one accord again. That is what Paul is saying, that we need to put off and we need to put on. Put off stealing and put on giving. He talks to the thief. Paul here is acknowledging that some in the community used to make a living stealing, and instead of a lifestyle of stealing Paul encourages a lifestyle of honest work. Now, some of you might not have had a background of being a thief, but what Paul says here next does apply to all of us when he says, do honest work so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The way that we should look uh, as we work and as we gain money is we live in such a way that we're not just trying to provide for ourselves, But we live in such a way that we are ready to give when anyone is in need. Paul is saying don't be a thief, don't steal, but work so that you position yourself to give to anyone that might be in need. The next put off and put on. Put off offensive talk and put on encouraging, encouraging talk. So let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. When I read this, I hear my mom's words, watch your mouth. And the truth of it is that the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and the Holy Spirit uses our mouths in order to send words of encouragement from the Lord to other people. And so when we use our mouths to cut people down and to say slanderous things and to be offensive, it, as Paul warns, it grieves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within saying, hey, God gave you this mouth so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who has brought you out of darkness and to his marvelous light. But you're saying mean things right now. That's not a good idea whether it's legit mean things where you're putting someone down or backhanded comments, I didn't, knew, didn't know that you were good at that, all of those things fall into offensive, corrupting talk. And so when we think about corruption, this word comes up again. I and mean, just imagine roll kill on the side of the road, how stinky it is. And when you say something offensive, the smell of roll kill is coming out of your mouth. And that stinks. And that's really gross. And so what we want to do is we want to make sure that we honor the Lord in what we say. There's a saying that goes around, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. But for us as believers, if you don't have anything good to say, you need to go pray until the Lord gives you something good to say. Because there is no way in the world that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and you can't find something good to say in any and every circumstance. So, Instead of using the saying as an excuse to avoid conversation, go to the Lord and pray, because I'm very sure he will have a word for you. And finally, the final put off and put on. Put off resentfulness and put on kindness and forgiveness. He says, closing this out, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, be conned. To one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. When we allow anger to take root into our hearts, and when we do not submit to the lordship of Christ, all of those things come out, and it's so hurtful and it's damaging to the body of Christ. And if God forgave us through the sacrifice of his son Jesus, then we are not above forgiving one another. And so my encouragement to you is if you're struggling with that, and will you go to the Lord and pray and pray and ask him for help? It's easy to complain about our local church. It's easy to complain about the body of believers that come together. It's easy to wish that people weren't the way that they were. It's easy to wish and say that you're tired of such and such and so and so. But have you ever thought that maybe it is your own sin that's contributing to the problem? Have we we ever sat and looked at the mirror and think, man, am I contributing to the issue and the division and the separation that's taking place within the church? Oftentimes, we're so busy pointing out toward others that we don't look within, and Paul is calling us to look within by reminding us that we're not who we used to be, by reminding us that we have learned Christ, and he gave us some very specific application to apply. So as you leave this gathering place today to enjoy lunch and run errands, I want to challenge you to think of these two things as you go and maybe even discuss with the people around you. What aspects of the old self do you struggle to put off? What aspects of the old self do you struggle to put off? And what do you need to put on in order to replace the old self that needs to be taken off? I know without a shadow of a doubt that if we as individuals take this truth seriously, it will be a blessing to the life of this church and every other church around us because we will be walking and living in a way that honors the Lord and promotes him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we cannot apply any of those truths without your help. So we ask that you will help us as we leave this place not to forget what we've learned and seen in the text. But Lord, may it take deep root in our hearts that we might bear much fruit for your namesake. We love you and we praise you. in Jesus' name we pray.